Welcome to the Practice Purchase Podcast Season 6, all about successful transitions. That period of time between when you know you're going to buy a practice to that time where you've actually closed and you're the owner. In this episode, the next two, we're going to be talking about the real estate portion. A lot of dentists hear a lot of information about buying a practice, typical prices, uh, valuation methods, when to talk to the staff. And, you know, a piece that gets often missed in the discussion is the real estate. Whether you're renting or buying, a lot of people just assume that uh, the real estate portion just happens, right? If you're buying a dental practice, right, you got to have somewhere to do that work. And so you're going to be in some physical space. You're going to buy the location or you're going to rent. Now, I will say that a lot of dentists have this idea that you must buy the real estate to be uh, financially successful in your career. And generally speaking, I like buying the real estate if possible. But what's fascinating to me is how many people get emotionally wrapped around the real the, the wheel of this idea that it's a financial decision, that financially you're going to be way better off buying the real estate versus leasing. Now, it can be true, but it isn't always true. And that's what's interesting to me. A lot of people think that I will only buy a dental practice if I can buy the physical space that comes with it. And I'm here to tell you that is short-sighted. It's possibly going to lead you to miss out on an amazing practice that could be a perfect place to spend your entire career. Now, um, in this episode, I'm talking with Mike Jorgensen from Car Healthcare Realty. Now, Car is um, a, a, they're specialists in the area of real estate and dentists. They have Mike is in charge of the national team of real estate professionals that live in all the different geographies around the country that know the street corners. They know um, individual square foot leasing rates. They know how to do run comps. And Car Healthcare Realty is, um, is, is the best at what they do. So that's why I have Mike on. Mike is the regional director. He's, uh, he's the guy to, to talk to, to know, you know who in your area is the best person at their firm to talk with. Now, um, whether or not you use someone like Car Healthcare Realty is uh, maybe beside the point. Uh, but the point of this episode is just to expose you to some good questions to ask in the transition process. So whether you're buying or leasing, there's going to be a lot of uh, good information in this episode. And uh, the first episode here, we're going to talk a little bit more about buying or about the process, whether or not you need someone, whether or not to involve them, how much they cost. By the way, sneak preview, the real estate portion is the one area that violates my rule that you should only have people on your team in a transition that you pay directly, right? You're going to pay your accountant directly. You're getting me. You're going to pay a lawyer directly. Uh, I wish that you could just pay your real estate professional directly, but that's not the way the real estate profession works, which is why uh, that's uh, it's a little bit different and you'll hear why. Uh, so with that, let's get to Mike Jorgensen with Car Healthcare Realty. Mike Jorgensen with Car Healthcare Realty. Thanks for being here. Tell us about Car. What do you guys do and how do you help dentists who are buying their first dental practice? Awesome. Well, first of all, Brian, I'd love to thank you for having us on. This is an honor. Uh, we actually do something very similar to what you do just on the real estate side. So you help doctors with acquisitions who are buying, uh, which is severely underrepresented, actually. And I'm uh, again, I just can't say enough good things about what you do because it is uh, it's a very popular industry 
in the dental side on acquisitions, uh, but buyers are severely underrepresented. And our CEO back in 2009 actually started this company under a very similar premises. But with real estate, it is uh, it was more common to have buyer representation, and so uh, he he the main reason that he started it is because there were severe conflicts of interest with agents, and when there weren't agents involved, there was a there was a disparity between the sellers who were a lot of them did this for a living with commercial real estate. Or versus the doctor who might only do this two or three times. And so he saw a big disparity in deal terms. He had been in commercial real estate for a while at that point, And he noticed that doctors were just getting uh, very poor deal points. And so we help doctors who are looking for real estate, whether to purchase or lease, and regardless of the transaction type. But again, acquisitions are a very common thing that we run into at CAR. That's huge. Uh, so helpful. Our knowledge, of course, we, we know a lot about real estate. When it gets down to the nitty-gritty specifics, oftentimes we do rely on experts like you in the different geographies. Um, let's start with the big question on a lot of dentists' mind. It, it, it's the lease versus buy question. All right, so let's let's set the premise here. I'm going to tell ask you to give me pros and cons. What would you do? But the, the premise that I have in my mind is my typical client who's a first-time buyer looking at a great dental practice. They're excited about the business. They're excited about the clinical side, the equipment, the layout, all of that. And the either the practice is just to either have to rent the space or the space is available to be purchased. Uh, for that prototypical client of mine, what would you tell them? Should they lease? Should they buy? Does it matter? What do you guys say at CAR? I'm going to give you the most frustrating response that I can, and that is, it depends. It depends. Uh, there are several, yes. <laughs> several different factors that you want to look into when it pertains to the real estate. Uh, first of all is, do you like the space? We actually notice a lot of doctors uh, who have been practicing for 15 or 20 years uh, haven't necessarily kept up with their space and or maybe due to gentrification or many other factors, there's better opportunities elsewhere for your practice. And so... Uh, I, there have been several times where I have uh, clients come to me and say, hey, I want to do as short of a lease as I can and get out of here as soon as I can. I just can't get the funding at this point. Uh, and in that instance, it obviously wouldn't make sense to own that real estate. The the One of the main things I think is uh, if they keep up with the space. We I ran into one doctor in uh, in Alabama who was selling his practice. He asked for help with the real estate. What do I do here? And so we went and looked at the space. He had it built in the 90s. And he still had some wood paneling, you know, that cool, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that chic, like yeah. it was Carpets cool in the, the 80s. fish tank. In yes, the, yes, sir. Yes. Okay, yep. I love it. And so yep. they had, he, uh, I asked him when the last time he had the carpets changed and he said, oh, well, you haven't. He said, we, oh, we built gosh. it in the nineties <laughs> and, uh, we just hadn't needed to. And, and you could tell that you needed to. And I think that a lot of doctors, as they go into their spaces, they see it on a daily basis and they don't notice all of the things that have gone wrong. Uh, when somebody who's brand new and new patients, they they walk in and go, man, that's some yellow stains on the ceiling and the carpet is peeling. And uh, those are things that you may not see on a daily basis where uh, many of your patients, they only come every six months. And so they notice those things. And uh, that that's one of the main things we see is keeping up with the space. But again, the other one is, is it in the right spot? A lot of these doctors are coming in. And when it was built 30 years ago, this was the spot to be. Whereas nowadays, it's not necessarily the spot to be. Yeah, on the so, outskirts of town. Yeah, everybody's kind of yeah. moving. So what I hear yeah. you saying is, let me repeat this back. If I like the space and where it is and the the space itself has been kept up reasonably well, it doesn't have to be the most modern, but if, if it's been kept up reasonably well, what I hear you saying is buy it if you can, 
Am I putting words in your mouth? You are a little bit, but okay. that's okay because buying is is uh, definitely a value. In fact, a lot of times the real estate can be worth more than the practice when when it's uh, being purchased. And uh, but there are what what we do on every transaction, whether an acquisition or otherwise, is to look at a lease versus purchase comparison because there's this idea that it's almost a Dave Ramsey approach to owning a home where you have to own it. He says, don't lease. You go buy a home. You you put the money in your own pocket. But in terms of uh, owning a practice and or owning a business in general, a lot of times it does make more sense to lease because there's a, another factor that is how much could you... Uh, how, are you reaching to own the real estate or... Uh, or would you be able to produce more at a different space, which you might not be able to afford to purchase, but leasing it would make more sense. And so there are several factors to consider. That's one of them. Yep. Uh, end game is another one of them. Uh, like what? what's your goal? If you want to own multiple locations, if you want to own multiple practices, then sinking money into real estate may not be your best uh, bet in terms of the the money that you could spend to go purchase another practice or um, there, there are several different factors, but again, looking at the lease to purchase comparison, that's a document that we have that we can look nice. through quickly is important because it takes into account more than just what would you pay in a lease and what would you pay on a mortgage? It also looks at tax implications. It looks at principal and, and equity. And then it looks at what the value it might be in 10 years. And then if that, at the end of the day, if that says to purchase, uh, because again, you might be paying more to own it than you would to lease, but it can still make more sense given the taxes and the uh, potential equity. So that's the main thing that we look at. But there are several other factors that are also important to consider. Here's what I tell my clients, and what I want you to do is correct me, okay? Because okay. you know you're the expert here. But yep. I hear the same thing. My dentist buyers will come to me. The clients will say. Brian, I really like this practice, but um, the doctor, he rents, and I don't want to throw money down a pit. And if I'm renting, that means I'm throwing money away. Now, I've done the same lease versus buy analyses you have. I'm, I'm an accountant by trade. In fact, I'd be curious to see yours. Yours is probably better than mine, but I would throw in things like, oh, there's maintenance. You know, you have to repaint the lines on the, on the, in the parking lot at some point, you know, um, so the roof's going to break. <laughs> then, then there's the, um, I, I always, I, I tried, it's not, this is a hard one to quantify. It doesn't fit well in Excel, but um, you know, just the, the fact that if I have an air conditioner break in my space and I'm renting, I get to make a phone call. So it's somebody else's problem versus if it's my, you know, it's my space. Now I have to fix it. Now I've got an extra thing to do that day and I've got to stay on top of it. So that um, the peace of mind with renting sometimes could be there, but here's what I tell clients. Listen, yes, it depends. All things being equal, which of course they never are. Let's come back to the all things being equal. But all things being equal, what you're buying when you buy the real estate isn't really an asset. I mean, you think it is. I know Dave Ramsey says it is, but it really, really what you're buying is control and you're buying a forced savings mechanism in the form of a loan payment. Right. And yes, you'll be able to sell that real estate down the road, but it's because you were forced to save in that real estate in the form of a, a principal and interest payment. Now, you, you kind of took my phrase, all things being equal, and you blew it out. You were saying, hey, listen, all things are never equal. There's lots of things to consider. Get somebody to take a look at it. But um, let's pretend for a minute, Mike, that all things are equal. I, am I right there? Is there anything you'd add to my analysis, or, or would you tell clients something a little different? Well, there are benefits to leasing as well, even outside of could you produce more there. Uh, every 
every couple years, every five years, seven years, three years, 10 years, whatever the lease term is, a lot of times the landlord is going to be willing to put some money back into the space. So that's almost a forced uh, enhancement of your space. Because again, I think when a doctor owns the space, they've been in there for 15 years, there's no trigger for them to look at the space and go, Hey, do I need to do anything? Whereas when you're leasing, you go, Hey, what do I need to, what do I need to do to the space? Cause I'm going to see if I can get the landlord to do it. You also have some concepts like free rent. Um, you're also able to get better terms in many markets. It's hard to own real estate. It's too expensive. And so, um, I know that that again, blows out the point of all things being equal, but I might even say, and, and kind of hit on the point again, all things don't have to be equal to make ownership worth it because you can pay a little bit more if you can get the financing and you can own the real estate, you can pay a little bit more and even a good bit more in some scenarios and it still be better to own that real estate than it is to lease. But I would say in most circumstances, all things being equal, it does make most sense to own. I would say the one that I think people don't consider most often is what could I do with that money elsewhere? So the smart. profitability of owning a dental practice is much higher than it is to own the real estate. And so if, you're, if your goal is to make the most money possible, o- owning real estate is probably not your best bet, at least owning your own practice potentially. So again, many different factors, but all things considered, I would say most of the time it does make sense uh, if that lease first purchase lays out the way it should. Uh, again, as an accountant and not a dentist, I want to take that clip and I just want to like save it, make it like an Instagram screenshot. I'm going to post it on every dental town, Facebook dental group there is because you're absolutely right. The most profitable thing that you own is the dental practice. And there's this mentality that if I don't own, you know, eight rental properties, I'm somehow a failure dentist and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, If you want to own rental properties, go for it. But um, anyway, okay, let's talk about the process of buying the real estate. All right. You got my client. I've sent over to you, Mike. Um, they're buying in Indianapolis or Fort Lauderdale or somewhere in Seattle or California. And they're buying the real estate. They've just submitted a letter of intent on the practice and they've told the, the seller, hey, listen, I want to buy your business and I'd like to buy the real estate. I send them to you. What are the basic steps that take place between that moment and then closing on the practice and the real estate? Can you walk us through just the major steps? Yep. That's that's a great question. And I would say, um, and I, I think, I, I'm not sure what this looks like in, in terms of what you guys do on a daily basis. But one of the things that we see most often hamper getting a good deal on the real estate within a dental acquisition is waiting too long to discuss the real estate. Because if you're if you've fully negotiated everything on the practice and you're ready to move in terms of uh, getting that practice under contract and things of that nature, and then you wait until, you know, the very end of the transaction and everything else is done, then you don't really have as much leverage to talk about the real estate as you would if you discussed it on the front end as well. I don't know how you feel about this, but my suggestion in many cases would be to talk about the real estate simultaneously oh, yeah. because you can get a really good deal on one and a terrible deal on the other uh, if you don't, and it could go either way, I think, but if you don't do them simultaneously, it can mm-hmm. it can leave you subject to not having much leverage because again, you get married to this practice, you yeah. love this practice, you negotiate, feel like you get a good deal there. And then uh, the landlord or the, I guess the seller in many cases, the doctor owns the real estate. You come down to purchasing the practice or the property, you've already figured out the practice and you, the, the, the seller can say, hey, 
take it or leave it, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, we gave you a good deal on the practice. This is what yeah. I want for the real estate. And it makes it tough. So I know that wasn't your question. No, no, that's okay. So what I hear you saying is step one is talk about it fast. Step one is mm-hmm. get the topic on the table. Well, I do want to come back to some of the negotiation points here in a minute. But you know, lo- logistically, what happens next? What's step two? So I talk about it early, then what? Yep. So you want to figure out what, uh, what different points are important to you. So most important point in any purchase is the the purchase price. So what are what are you paying for it? Okay. A caveat there and where we see a lot of doctors leaning on and we actually just talked to one who had great things to say about you in the northeast. Mm, um they were they were letting the appraisal justify the value of the real estate. And that is one of the most common mistakes that we see dentists make when they're purchasing any real estate, not just this, but this is the most common area that we see it is when they're buying a practice and buying the real estate as well. And a lot of times the way we see it is in the form of a purchase option later because they couldn't necessarily get financing. And so they have this mechanism to just or to come up with the value of the practice based upon appraisals. And it usually looks like you get an appraisal, I get an appraisal. If they don't, if they're too far apart, then those two people hire in a separate appraiser. You're paying a lot of money for something that is not ever meant to come up with the price on real estate. The reason of an appraisal is to justify a value. Mm. The first thing an appraiser is going to ask you is what is the price? Mm -hmm. An appraisal is meant for when a bank is going to make a loan on a property. They already have the price set and the appraiser says, what's the price? And then they justify that price. An appraiser has a client in every transaction and the seller wants the most, buyer wants the least. And so they're going to justify those values. It is not uncommon to see a three or $400,000 swing on a small space in an appraisal because of who the client is. And so I just want to highlight that real quickly yeah. is that the appraisal idea of letting it justify the price is making buyers lose out on more money than anything else that I see hmm. in acquisitions. Um, and so again, I know I'm not hitting your question, but the next step would be to figure out that price. And that price should be figured out by negotiating and figuring out what uh, what that that property is worth based on it being a dental office. That's another thing appraisers don't necessarily understand right. is the value of the build out in a dental office. And that, so you can, there, it can go one, one of two ways in that matter. That makes sense. So a lot of buyers are going to get stuck here then. They're going to yep. say, well, the seller told me it's worth $1.5 million. And then they're going to say, well, I, I don't want to pay that much, but I don't have the necessary skills to be able to tell you it's worth 1.3 or 1.0 or you know, 1.6 yep. or some other number. Yep. So I know a lot of buyers do just defer to the appraisal. So yep. how can a buyer come up with the first price then and avoid this mistake you're talking about? Yep. And the, the best way to do that is to talk to somebody who understands uh, dental real estate in your market is, is the best bet. And so uh, for instance, in this case that I was just discussing in the Northeast, they actually had a price. When I talk to the doctor, many times in these acquisition scenarios, I tell a doctor, you don't need us. Uh, we're just going to convolute this issue and we don't want to make it a, a co- conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that instance, I told him on the phone, I said, I think, I think we're probably good here. When we went back and looked at the prices, that price could be justified very easily. There was a dental comp that was sold uh, seven months ago that was sold at that price. The prob- And so any appraiser that looks at that can justify that very easily. And if they're lazy or don't understand, which sure. most appraisers do, residential and commercial, they would say, oh, that that is. I can justify that price. That one just sold. 
problem is uh, the the year it was built was far off. Uh, there were several other factors that made this property not worth anything close to what uh, the the price that was discussed was. And so we were able to step in and, and start to have conversations with that practice broker because they were representing on the real estate as well. But you need to have somebody who understands dental and can look at comps uh, to to not only figure out what it would look like, uh, because many cases you don't have dental dental comp. The best comp for a dental office is another dental office. Mm-hmm. And finding that comp isn't very common. And so you have to know what it looks like to get a comp and then essentially turn it into a dental office to see what that price actually looks like. And so uh, the the price, to get back to your original question, first thing you need to figure out is price. And once that's agreed upon, then you need to figure out who's paying for a lot of those excess costs. Like uh, one of the most common or, or uh, one of the most... Uh, I get one of the biggest costs that that's left is uh, who's paying for title insurance. Sure. In in many states, the the seller uh, would have the buyer purchase that insurance, which is usually a, a percentage. You're talking, you know, it's it's not a ton compared to the price of the building, but a couple thousand dollars potentially, um, which isn't a cost that they would incur themselves. But you can also negotiate that to have the seller pay it. And we've got a very good ability to get the seller to understand why that title insurance should be paid by them. Um, Let me pause you real for a estate, second. So you're, yeah. you're talking about negotiation points. Let me just stick with the steps first. Then we come back to okay. negotiation points. Okay. Okay. So step one, talk about the process early. Step two, yep. work with someone who can get me uh, an, an opinion on the price and that yep. works for me. That would be car yep. healthcare realty. Could that also be uh, just your run of the mill commercial real estate broker in an area? Like, you know, I've got an uncle, yeah. I've got a brother in law, you know, somebody that does commercial real estate. Could they help with this theoretically? They, they, they could theoretically. We, we run into a lot of doctors. Our, our uh, biggest competitor, if you will, is the doctor doing it themselves. Sure. Yeah. Our next biggest competitor is actually residential agents. I've got mm-hmm. a buddy who works for Keller Williams. Right. I would steer clear of working with residential agents. That is not somebody who can give you value because they don't understand the, the, the cost of a dental build out. A commercial agent can help. I would suggest a commercial agent over other agents for sure. Uh, I kind of have a good, better, best when it comes to who to work with in this situation. A good situation would be working with a commercial real estate agent. A better situation would be working with a buyer tenant only commercial real estate agent because they don't have any potential conflicts there. Mm. Uh, there, There's not a potential that they would be working for the seller. Okay. Uh, And then the best situation would be a buyer tenant only, healthcare only, or in this case, dental only Mm -hmm. real estate agent, because they really understand that value. One of the most common questions I get as an agent in the market actually comes from appraisers saying, hey, I'm trying to appraise this real estate. What what does dental construction look like? What do those costs look like? And so you can have an agent. I would definitely have an agent who is in commercial real estate and understands those values. But the best case scenario would be somebody who doesn't represent any other landlords or sellers and who understands the dental world. Yeah. So that resonates with me. Obviously, uh, dental buyer advocates, we're a firm that's uh, buyer only, dentist, dental only, and specialize in these types of transactions. So what I hear you saying is just the, the commercial real estate version of that, which, of course, yep. sounds like you sound like a genius, of course. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right, so we, this is more common. There are yeah. buyer tenant only firms that don't do this. What you're doing blows my mind. I've thought oh, about thanks. this for years. I know I that he's not paying me to say this, people. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, this true. is a really cool proposition to the market. Bo- uh, d- docs, bo- 
box of donuts is on the way. All right. Um, so let's say <laughs> step three is, um, so I've, I've talked about it early. I've figured out a price. Now what? Just stepwise. And then let's come back to negotiations. Well, really the negotiations and probably why I got into it at that point is the price it is incumbent upon some of those other points. And so the negotiation uh, is all, it all happens at the same time with, with the price. So what okay. am I paying? Uh, what do I do in terms of due diligence? That's usually going to probably in this situation mirror the due diligence of the, the business um, of the yeah of the business yeah, of the, the acquiring practice. of the practice. But there are many things you want to make sure. Uh, I I would say most often doctors do a shorter. I don't know what is a standard due diligence time frame for for you for a dental practice, but we see it oftentimes where it's thirty days, and that might be tough to do. Especially, I mean, right now, as this episode is airing, we're coming up on Christmas. Getting an appraisal done in three weeks commercially is probably not going to happen. And that's a requirement for most banks. Mm -hmm. And so the next step is, and and I might even back up a little bit. One thing you need to make sure is that the bank will do it. A lot of banks are not able to, to, they're over leveraged if you try to buy the practice and the real estate at the same time. And so getting them, uh, getting an understanding of how much, do I need to come up with a down payment? How much is that going to be? If I can't do that, one kind of trick, if you will, is to see if the seller would consider carrying the note for the down payment. So you can pay them separately and essentially they pay your down payment for you and you can still get a loan if the bank will allow it. So figuring out the financing is is very important. Uh, I would assume that was already figured out before True. this, yeah, but I, that's I important. Agree. Yep, I agree. Perfect. And then, so okay, yeah. So talk to a bank, get the topic on the table and then negotiate price and. Uh, and so let's yep. talk about the end. You mentioned title yep. insurance as a potential thing to negotiate. Uh, price, obviously. When I'm buying the building, what else do I care about besides price? Yep. So the you want to make sure you have enough time. Uh, again, that's the bank yep. is really going to dictate that. What do they need to see and how long is that appraisal going to take? You so, should be able to get an appraisal within a couple weeks. Okay. But due that's diligence one. Period. Uh, uh, yep. And is that due diligence period is, is sounds like an appraisal. And does that appraisal include other things? Like is somebody walking through and making sure the foundation isn't cracked and nope. you know that. Okay. Oh, nope. Nope. I get where you're going there. So an inspection is needed. That's okay. usually done pretty quickly. So you want to inspect that real estate to make sure that you're not um, buying something that might be worth the value if the if the foundation wasn't cracked. That could be a huge issue and a huge cost. When do uh, I there do are that many... who pays for it? Yep. That's a great question. So that's usually the first thing within due diligence in any commercial property. You usually do that within about a week. Uh, and then you have a week something, of what? Sorry. A week of getting under contract. Another ah, good question. Okay. So, so I've negotiated. I've said, I want to pay 1.5. Yeah, yeah. You said you think this building is worth 1.7. I said 1.5. We just shook hands on 1.5. Now, within the week after that, after shaking yep. hands and saying, okay, we've agreed on a price, that's when I hire uh, an inspector. And it sounds like you're about to say, I pay for the inspection as the buyer. Is that that's true? That's correct. Okay. Yep. yep. Buyer pays for a lot of the due diligence, which is makes sense because makes sense. they're the ones who are trying to see if, if this works, uh, if this building works for them. And so the inspection is, is important. That usually takes about a week. That inspection could create other issues. If there is a big issue, you need to make sure that it's usually that's either paid for by the seller so they fix the issue or they knock a portion off of the price is usually how we see that resolved. Um, from that point, 
usually the uh, appraisal would be ordered um, either right around then or I would suggest after to make sure there's no issues with the inspection because you're probably going to have to pay for the appraisal anyways, which is usually funded within the loan, but still a cost to you. So getting that inspection done. There are many other things that um, I would suggest at least considering. If you're on a property that has, I've seen this, I actually heard I actually heard a doctor who was purchasing some real estate in uh, actually a practice in Colorado, and he went to buy the real estate, but it was actually previously a gas station. And so that actually caused some soil issues. Mm -hmm. And to mitigate that issue was very costly. So he was able to purchase it if he wanted to, but it was going to cost him six figures to sell it in the future if somebody found that issue. And so there are many different things that you could go down rabbit holes. A phase one is is the, the study that would look at the history of the property to see if it was previously a gas station or a dry cleaner or a pool store or something like that. That may not be a bad thing to consider. Uh, there are many different things that you could look into though. Okay. Uh, but then after that point, the next step would be that appraisal. Make sure that it appraises. And then if it doesn't, how do we resolve that issue? Nice. Okay. So I agree on a price. Uh, we hire an appraiser, we hire an inspector and work with the bank to make sure I fulfill closing requirements and and they're happy Anything else stepwise, negotiations-wise to think about as we wrap up buying the real estate? Yep. So um, this goes in, under the due diligence timeframe as well as usually the title work. Mm-hmm. If there's any sort of a title issue or something that might pop up, the city has an encumbrance for electrical or something like that. Those are all very important to know. We have also seen a survey would be another thing that would be great if usually the seller has one and that would be ideal is if you could get that survey might not make uh, might not be a bad idea to update that survey and make sure that it's still correct. What but is that? You could have, what, what is a survey? A, what does that say? A survey is is when you get somebody to come out and look at the property and make sure that the title work matches with what okay. they are seeing. So there could be somebody's fence. I saw this on a deal. Yeah. Somebody had a parking lot that was on this property. And with um, adverse possession is a claim that they mm-hmm. could make after, depends on the state, but in Alabama, it's seven years. After seven years, they can claim that as their own property if you don't. So that would be a title issue. Got and it. so we had to get a waiver from that other party saying, no, that's not my land to ensure that. But that would never have come up if we didn't have a survey. Mm-hmm. So title okay. cannot see it because they're not laying eyes on the property. So a survey would be a good idea. In many cases, there's already one in place. Okay, perfect. All right, Mike, uh, last question on buying the real estate. I think I've got a sense of where car fits in. Is there anything else you want to say about car, healthcare, realty, and how you guys help with this process, the process of buying the real estate? The last thing I would say is, uh, and this is something that car does on every transaction, we are a, a, a free service, if you will, to that doctor. And in this situation, the easiest way for us to justify that price, and in commercial real estate, much like residential, the seller or the landlord pays the commissions. In this situation with the seller being the seller of the practice as well, it can sometimes be a little bit more uh, of a question mark there, for, especially for the seller. But when you're looking at comps, those comps usually involve real estate fees. And so for the seller, that if, if they're not going to pay the fees, which they normally do in commercial real estate and every other transaction, they should back that portion off of the deal. And that's usually how we're able to justify uh, within the deal, us being there and you not having to pay for it. But regardless, that's something that we do. We've, we've done several pro bono deals uh, for acquisitions. 
So you'll never pay for our services, but that should be paid for by the seller. And it's because the comps that we're looking at have fees built in already. And so it, it shouldn't be an issue. If it is, you should make the case that, hey, I those other properties had 6% built in. Let's cut 6% off the price. And then in that instance, the seller's in the same spot. So uh, that last thing I would say about it is you shouldn't pay for the representation that should be paid for by the seller in the transaction. Pretty good teaser for the next part of our discussion because I tell dentists the like trust the people on your team and the people on your team are those you're paying directly. What I hear you saying, you're, you just put a little asterisk next next to my saying, and I want to ask you more about that. Uh, but we'll we'll tackle that as we talk about leases. 